Case file number 7.11. McFraud. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Agent Crenshaw. Still working on this Gibson thing. No, Chief. You, you gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No, nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No, how is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. And and the other one, the other one, Ymir. He's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief, what would J. Edgar Hoover do? Come, Chief, all I need is more time. Sooner or later they're going to slip up and I will catch them. Hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. So, what's your favorite board game to play that will make you just furious with everyone else you're playing with? Yeah, yeah, it's Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I don't think I've ever played a game of Monopoly that didn't start off like all fun and games, and then I wanted to just murder everyone like four or five hours later because the game was still going on. The side game, the, what we call a prop bet in the poker world, might be to figure out the timing when somebody explodes and mm-hmm. just put put side bets on when that's going to happen because it's going to happen. Oh, that would be that would be that would be fun. Yeah, I think I think the only other board game that like brings that out in people's risk. Yeah, I, I played enough Risk where I don't think Risk is a very well designed game. Um, but then again, Monopoly has its issues too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're, we're talking about Monopoly today. Um, specifically, do you remember when McDonald's was issuing out the little Monopoly uh, scratch stickers? Oh yeah, used to be the only reason I would get my parents to take us to to McDonald's. Yeah, I remember like I would be bummed sometimes when we would get food and they wouldn't have like stickers because like, oh no, you didn't buy like the extra large fry or whatever the hell came with the stickers on it. But yeah, and I remember like keep like I had a collection of the the little peel offs of just sitting mm-hmm. around hoping hoping that I would like match those pairs and like win whatever the prize was. Like I didn't I'm not usually a McDonald's person. Um was always going to Wendy's more, like if that craving ever uh, hit me. But all, all these things could be like gathered together. They could be turned in for prizes. And obviously like different sets gave different prizes um, yeah. depending on the different year. Like you can look up all this stuff too. Yeah. And the prizes escalated based on the same way that the, that the Monopoly pieces escalated. Where like mm-hmm. Boardwalk and Park Place were the huge prizes. And then yeah, yeah. The, the, the Baltic and Mediterranean, I think, was the, like the smallest prize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baltic and Mediterranean, you got food poisoning. And the other ones, you got a million dollars. You know, I'm glad I didn't ever win anything. (laughs) Yeah, but funnily enough, um, obviously, you probably noticed this, and most people have in the U.S., uh, that game no longer exists, and there is a specific reason for that. And when I say no longer exists, it's still going on, I believe, in the U.K. um, and other countries, unless they've discontinued it uh, recently. But this was all halted because they uncovered a whole bunch of fraud. And funny, funny enough, I need to I need to sit down and watch it. But there is an HBO documentary named McMillions about this. 
uh, that actually goes into all the intricacies and everything. And supposedly Ben Affleck is writing a movie based on this too, because I think he bought the rights to it. I could definitely see that. Um, Matt Damon did one about, I don't remember if it was Monsanto, but it was a basically a agriculture supply company, fertilizer company or something like that. Oh, really? Pesticide or fertilizer. And he was the insider. Mm. And he mm-hmm. plays the insider as a buffoon. And my understanding, reading a couple articles about it, he he was not embellishing that much. Um, but it's just like, it's kind of up the same alley of Affleck and Damon to do right, right. Like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there was a company named Simon Marketing. Uh, they were subcontracted to McDonald's and hired to kind of organize and promote the game. And they kind of failed to recognize a flaw in their procedures as time went on. And their chief of security went by the name of Jerome P. Jacobson, uh, a.k.a. Uncle Jerry. And he was sealing throughout a period of like 10 plus years uh, the most valuable game pieces. Um, This was especially hilarious because his job as chief of security was actually to make sure no employees were pocketing these pieces. Um, Some articles say like he was very like very on them. Like he would check their shoes as they were leaving the facility. Like he would you know, go above and beyond for this stuff. Yeah, to, to make sure that the shrinkage was only coming from him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He didn't want any competition. In the in the mid-90s, he figured a way to rig the game so the valuable pieces would always find their way to people that he knew and who would share their winnings with him. And his entire role in all this was he traveled around the country to different McDonald's locations, and he personally brought with him a case of all the pieces. Um, these pieces were selected by random computer drawing to like whatever locations they were going to. And this case also had a tamper-proof seal on it. Tamper-evident. Tamper-evident, okay. <laughs> he was also under constant surveillance by an independent auditor who followed him on all these trips. Um, she mm-hmm. was with him for like the entire trip, watching to make sure everything was you know above board, nothing going on. So let me predict the movie. They had an affair. No, actually. <laughs> See that would be that would be the movie thing to do. Now, funnily enough, this this all came about because a foreign supplier who was charged with making these uh, tamper evident seals mm-hmm. accidentally sent a package directly to Jacobson with a whole bunch of them, <laughs> and so he was like, "Well, shit, this this is my way in." Like, <laughs> so how was he able to swap out these pieces? Though, um, you know, the auditor was following him this entire time uh well he went to one place she wouldn't follow the men's bathroom um he would go into the airport restroom stalls and sit there pop open the case take out what he wanted put the the trashed uh pieces back in close it reseal it walk out like nothing happened well how did he reseal it if if it was if it was tamper sealed oh with the with the, the tamper seals of the the company said oh so he could he had he mm-hmm. had replacement seals with it yeah 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 Yep, yeah, they yep. sent him a, a whole bunch. So yeah, like it was like, mm, let's show this is my like golden ticket here. Now, you know, obviously, if he showed up with um a bunch of like winning tickets, um, they'd be very suspicious right off the bat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, probably given his job too, he wasn't even eligible to win these competitions. Right. So he needed other people to join in on this game. And he started using friends and family to recruit people. Um, he would have people pay him tens of thousands of dollars up front to secure their winning pieces. And sometimes these pieces would be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, even up to a million dollar grand prize. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he gave one piece worth $200,000 to his butcher, who paid him $45,000 in 1998. He pulled his nephew into the fold with the same offer. Wow. And at one point, he even mailed a $1 million piece anonymously to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Tennessee. I remember hearing that on the news, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, on I the mean, radio, back when, yep. back when we listened to the radio. <laughs> <laughs> in the olden days. Um, a source close to him said that he had actually done this because if he was going to get caught at some point, he wanted to use this as leverage for a more lenient sentence. Yeah, he was posturing for the judge. He was he yeah. was uh, hedging his bets. Yeah, 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 exactly. So throughout like the, the 90s, he was selling game pieces to members of his car club, a uh, man he met in an Atlanta airport. And in Andrew Glom, who was an ex-con in Florida, who passed out pieces to his network of friends down there. Jacobson always insisted that, beyond the cash up front, that all the winners would kind of like drive to different states to Mm -hmm. put in their ticket. Because it gets really suspicious if, like, you know, like, hey, there's just a crap ton of winners from Florida. What's what's going on here? You know, and obviously he had had connections to Florida and he had connections to... um, uh, Georgia. He, he was residing in Georgia and working for this company there. In Florida, he had been a police officer for a few years. Despite all this effort, though, the feds did begin to notice that there were a whole lot of winners showing up in Georgia and Florida. So, did they catch him after only one year, or was this multiple years that that, that it took for them to catch him? Uh, this was this was multiple years. Um, okay. So part of his problem is he got greedy. <laughs> greedy, and I think there was just like, as time went on, more and more data came up yeah so they were like yeah they were just like wait a second what's going on here yeah if he if he cut it after five years i i wonder if they would have even caught him and it occurred to me as you were saying that this is not entirely different from how carding uh stuff is exploited oh yeah yeah uh basically you get a large number of cards uh or at least this has been a way that it's been done in the past where basically you have a lot of people who are essentially mules that are buy that are buying stuff with the cards to be you know resold or whatever so you need that kind of ground level to distribute the actual monetization side oh yeah i remember reading something or maybe you were talking about at some point too that like like when they give you those um like one year of fraud prevention stuff like that they're typically just bogus because those cards will kind of sit on the back burner for multiple Mm -hmm. years before they start getting disseminated out and like you know actually yeah, used can, stuff like that yeah that can absolutely happen in fact mm-hmm. like the when we talked about credit card fraud i was talking about like how the dwell time uh how old some of the uh the card records were in mm-hmm. the uh database of that russian site that got that got cracked mm-hmm. right right now in 2000 the fbi got a tip off about a million dollar winner from 1996 by the mm-hmm. name of will fisher and Fisher was the father-in-law of the guy Jacobson had met in the airport uh, over in Atlanta. And even though he had drove, driven to New Hampshire to claim his prize, uh, the feds working along with McDonald's uh, were able to trace him all the way back to Jacksonville, Florida. Did he live in Jacksonville? Yeah. Okay, so that's that's not a shocker. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I can't remember if it said Jacksonville spe- uh, specifically, but I think that's where Jacobson worked as a police officer. Mm-hmm. And so this was also near a cluster of a bunch of other winners, including one family that claimed three separate $1 million prizes, uh, plus a Dodge Viper. They were really good at Monopoly. They, they were, one might say, monopolizing it. <laughs> exactly. 
Now, Fisher was eventually given three years probation, and he was ordered to pay $300,000 in restitution. Mm-hmm. It didn't really say how much he paid Jacobson for the ticket, but assuming like maybe like $45,000, you know, if he scored a million dollar prize, it's interesting that they only made him pay back 300000 Yeah. Well, so he's going to be losing about a th- somewhere between a third and a half, kind of depending mm-hmm. on depending on stuff to taxes. Oh, that's, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. And then based on the ratio we were talking about previously, um, you were saying about 40, 50,000 for a $200,000 prize. So about a quarter hmm. of the total prize. So it's probably more than he paid the security guy, mm. but probably less than he than he acquired. I wonder if the fine was in addition to giving up the ill-gotten gains. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. But I didn't see any mention of that, though that would make sense. So when McDonald's launched another game in 2001, the FBI was standing by with wiretaps this time. Yeah. <laughs> And they were monitoring any of the suspicious winners of recent times, um, as well as Jacobson himself, um, since he was basically the suspect to be the, the head of all this. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was the nexus. So in 2001, Jacobson and seven others were arrested by the FBI, and they were charged with felony conspiracy to commit mail fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, in total, they had netted around $24 million in cash and prizes. But better than being on The Price is Right. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Eventually, more than 50 people were convicted of mail fraud, uh, mail fraud and conspiracy, sorry, uh, both yeah. as the FBI continued to piece together the whole operation. So this was just kind of like an ongoing thing where just more and more people got found out and dragged into this. Mail fraud and wire fraud are like they have teeth in them just on their own. Mm-hmm. And it makes the and it essentially guarantees that it's a federal crime and not a state one. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah. It, because it, it, it pretty much guarantees that it's interstate. Which is where you get the FBI, which is why you get the FBI. Also, like they went to different states to get the prizes. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't remember off the top of my head. The number that keeps coming up in my head is like 20 years, but like mail fraud and basically a lot of like postal crimes have very substantial penalties on them. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things too, because they got, um, they got Capone on, was it tax charges? Yes, they got him mm-hmm. for eleven years on tax on tax evasion. Tax evasion, and then just recently, what was George Santos? That was not convicted, but he's been charged with. Uh, yeah. God, I can't remember what, but it was it was some sort of fraud. But it, but it's it's always like the the money related, like don't mess with people's money, like that's all they get you out, like all the other stuff. I'm I'm blanking on it right now, uh, but there was there was something recently where essentially all the teeth was in the wire fraud part. Very, very little of the actual. Uh, no, this was the this was a uh, um, President Trump, and um, it was one of the New York cases where oh, basically right. the wire fraud and and conspiracy to commit part uh, um, other crimes was really the teeth of the actual uh, penalties. I think this is the Stormy Daniels case. It's long ago. Yes, right? yeah, you're yeah, right. It's yeah. the Stormy Daniels case. Yeah, because that's why people now were like, people were like, like you can't charge a felony for paying off a porn star, and they're like. Well, not for that, but we can for like these other things. And yeah. I mean, this is it's one of those things where that's the catch-all kind of uh statute that the feds love to use. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm gonna do a slight tangent here mm-hmm. because it kind of correlates to my 2020 documentary that I just got done watching that it was in relation to this man 
uh, in Colorado who was working as an FBI informant. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd gone to prison a few times and eventually like kind of came up on the radar because he was writing uh, fraudulent checks. Okay. And the guy investigating this kind of like, it's like, ah, okay, like, let me go and interview these people and everything. And it came increasingly suspicious that he was interviewing this, this woman whose daughter went missing. Um, coincidentally, last person that saw her was this guy. Uh, coincidentally, this has happened uh, multiple times. And so had his uncle gone disappearing. And it turns out that for the span of, God, I think it was like five years or something, this guy had been murdering people um, and just burying them out into the deserts of Utah and Colorado. And taking their checkbooks? No, he wasn't even taking their checkbooks. Like This was just a side gig yeah. that he enjoyed doing. Um, he was he was conning other um, inmates, like learning the secrets. He was giving up their information to the FBI to be their informant. And then he was yeah. going and meeting with these inmates, girlfriends or wives, and killing them. And like this entire time was like working as an FBI informant. It, it was crazy just like watching this entire thing kind of unravel. He even tried to kill his kid. I mean, that reminds me of Whitey Bulger, who was an FBI informant and a basically running the Providence, Rhode Island mob for really? decades. Yes. Take a look. <laughs> Whitey Bulger. Um, right. I'll, I'll look into that. But yeah, it's just it's one of those things where it's, it's always like we'll be going, going, going. And there's one tiny little thing. And when that thread starts unraveling, they're like, holy shit, look at this. So his, his operation even had members of the mafia. Uh, one member was uh, Gennaro Colombo, who was reportedly okay. a member of the Colombo crime family. Yeah, I was um, like, pretty yeah. sure he's not wearing a dirty raincoat. Pretty sure it's the yeah. Colombo crime family. Yeah. Um, Colombo was connected, or was able to connect Jacobson to just a string of recruiters uh, for all the stuff. And they ranged from uh, psychics, strip club owners, mobsters, drug traffickers, and even a family of Mormons. Of Mormons? Of Mormons, yes. I don't even have a joke for that. <laughs> <laughs> the Jacobson, 58, then he was sentenced to 37 months in prison for all of this and sentenced also to paying more than $12.5 million in restitution. Glom and three other recruiters of Jacobson, including his nephew, were given just over a year in prison for like their part. Um, we're not, from the articles that I read, we're not sentenced to any restitution fees or anything like that. And... Yeah, it was never given up how much he actually made off this. Weak sauce. This is just weak sauce. Oh, the penalties? Yeah. I, I, I was surprised by, like, given our country's tendency to, like, throw the book at people, how lenient these sentences were. Um, yeah. It was it was never given up how much he had actually made off of this. But like you were saying, like, if you, t- if you take his price for all this stuff, uh, the amount of tickets that he had stolen, which were around like 60, it's estimated that he he raked in like $3 million plus just for himself, not counting. Yeah, yeah. What else? yeah. yeah he, he made $3 million under the mm-hmm. table by people just giving him money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, there was a lot of backlash by the public towards McDonald's, too, because yeah. I, I hadn't known about that. You, you took me off on this entire topic. Um, and as I was starting to go through, I, w- I was like, man, I remember playing this game when I was younger. Being like, oh man, like you know, like if I could just get that one other, that one other piece, I could win that prize and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I felt like pangs of frustration and anger of like, oh shit, there, there was never a chance to win yeah. this. And granted, it, it's a lottery, like you know, the chances are always really low. But you know, it's one thing to be like, oh, I didn't win the winning numbers. It's another thing where ten years later, oh, there was never 
There were never there was never a chance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would have expected to win something, but I but I I'm actually kind of surprised because I because my impression from kind of skimming this was mm -hmm. that there were a lot more tickets taken. Um, it, it sounds like he just grabbed the very mo the the most valuable ones. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and it was only what five dozen. Uh yeah, yeah, about yeah. yeah. So the fact that I never got New York Avenue was not because of him. It was because mm -hmm. I just was never lucky enough. Yeah. And I, I guess it makes sense because like, when you're talking about like million dollar car prizes and stuff like that, like they printed maybe like one per year, mm -hmm. or like two per year. Because, you know, this rent, this um, entire game ran for 10 years. So yeah. he's doing this for a fairly long period of time. I mean, I, I won some free French fries, I think, at one point. Was... Yeah, I, I think I probably got one of the instant prizes, but I never matched mm -hmm. a set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And McDonald's also announced, uh, due to the public backlash, that they were going to do a $10 million cash giveaway, and they were going to split that pool among the 55 different winners uh, chosen at random. Mm -hmm. And so, obviously, McDonald's cut ties with Simon Marketing. I mean, whole... I, you wonder why. Mm -hmm. But Simon Marketing turned around and sued them for breach of contract. If McDonald's couldn't break that contract for cause their lawyers suck apparently because they settled out of the court and paid simon marketing 16.6 million dollars so I, I i don't know what simon marketing had like in their club maybe they had like one of those disney clauses where they couldn't breach if, the contract until the prince died yeah it's like if we can get a copy of the contract and you know we were some level of internet famous we might be able to call the legal eagle to, to break it down for us but mm -hmm. dozens and dozens possibly only you know a dozen or two yeah and then given all of this tainted their name simon marketing closed down in 2002 and just liquidated all of their assets and everything well i mean it's a good like you know send-off bonus with that 16 million dollars yeah yeah oh yeah 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 you paid out the ceos um Pay the lawyers, pay the executives, screw over the uh, the secretaries, and mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, that that is the story of the McMillions fraud with Jacobson at the helm. That's amazing. I mean, this this the whole like uh, who watches the watchers thing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, as we try to do in some of these, tie it back to like infosec stuff. One of the things, I mean, the fact that he could that he had the ability to reseal. And there wasn't a, a, a firm two-party control mm -hmm. of the device are easy to spot problems. And that's exactly what he exploited. When I worked at the certificate authority, we did strong two-party control of all of the, the functions. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Whether it was the physical key and the password to use it for recovery key operations, which do occasionally need to be used uh, when you're doing like hardware replacement um that kind of thing or right. uh, i believe we also had to do it for a major firmware upgrade was, was essentially required us to re restore keys but it meant that we had to have i think it was a minimum of three people at the location to to do the actual operation um same kind of thing with two-party control they shouldn't have like been that isolation thing and even if there was they should have not issued him any tamper seals it should be like tamper seal somebody signed over it right yeah kind of thing um yeah yeah like, like an extra mechanism the essential problem was what they thought was a tamper evidence seal was not a tamper evidence seal <laughs> they created a situation where it wasn't the auditor mm. didn't catch it. it 
just that simple. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's to me, it's like tamper evident is it's important to 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 say tamper evident, not tamper proof, because it's a detective control, not a preventative one. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's what sprang to mind. Like, as I was reading this, I was like, oh, this is, yeah, like you were saying, if you were just to capture traffic, decrypt it, re-encrypt it and send it on its way. Yeah. Just also with fast food. Set it right on its way. Exactly. Find out about new episodes at r slash hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.